0: mm
1: Take your copy of God's Word, and you may have already removed the bookmark. If so, you can put it back in its place in the book of 1 Peter. You know, we started out earlier this year studying through the book of 1 Peter, and uh, we put a bookmark in that uh, study for the summer, and we spent some time in the hymnal and uh, looking at some hymns and songs and letting them drive us to the Scripture. And so today we're going to pick up our study again that we've called Hope for the Hurting. A journey through First Peter. You'll find your spot there in First Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. How many, of you ever, how many of you have ever heard the phrase, no good deed goes unpunished? Anybody ever heard that phrase? No good deed goes unpunished. You know that describes the fact that sometimes our acts of kindness and our good deeds and our um, kind-heartedness to others can actually backfire on us. I was thinking about when we were growing up, and I don't remember how old I was, but I remember my stepfather. uh, We had somebody on it. It was a family member. There was a a car that broke down on a very busy area uh, of um, road in uh, the area where I grew up. And uh, in fact, it's probably the busiest section there. And so I went with him. And we went to get this car and tow it in with a chain. And uh, let's just say that things didn't go so well. And I don't remember if the chain broke or came loose, but that car got loose and hit another car. And needless to say, no good deed goes unpunished. Now, that's not true all the time, thankfully, but it can happen. And to be honest with you, it doesn't make much sense. I mean, we're trying to be helpful. We're trying to be kind. We're trying to be a good neighbor, and yet it ends up biting us and ends up costing us. And so this morning, we're going to pick up our study here in First Peter, and we're looking at chapter 3, and we find ourselves in verse 13. And it's interesting, when you think about no good deed going unpunished, if you look at First Peter uh, chapter 3 and uh, verse 13, it says, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good. That's the New King James. Let me read it to you in the NLT. Now, who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? In other words, who would want to hurt somebody that just wants to do good? And the obvious answer is what? No one. No one would want to hurt somebody that's just trying to do good, that just wants to do good. But we know that's not always true. In fact, if you're there in First Peter chapter 3, you just read verse 13. If you read the very next verse... It tells us that our good deed might be punished after all. Because he just said in verse 13, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? And then verse 14 says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. And we've got to be reminded today that if we're seeking to live a life for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, to live a life for the glory of God, The reality is that is not going to set well with certain people. And we're going to fall out of favor with certain people. And certain people, believe it or not, I mean, we're seeking to do good and live good and live right. There are certain people who are not going to like that and they're going to want to harm us. And the question is, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, who's seeking to live right and do right and be right and help other people, and then we end up suffering for that, How do we live in a way that continues to bring glory to God? And how do we respond to that kind of suffering? We're trying to do good and we get punished. And so I want to talk to you for a few minutes today about how to handle suffering for Jesus. How to handle suffering for Jesus. And I'm going to give you six things to remember when you're called upon to suffer for Jesus. To suffer... For your faith. And all six of these are going to come right out of this passage that we're looking at here today in 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 13 through 22. And because there are six of them, I'm not going to spend a great amount of time on every one of them. We're going to mention them, we're going to talk about them, and move on so we can get uh, through these things. But some things to remember when you're called upon to suffer for your faith, and it may be verbal suffering, it may be pushback at work, it may be a loss of a position. Uh, It could possibly be, and and, and, uh, it seems far-fetched to us at times, but it could possibly be physical harm that's invoked upon us because of our faith. But whenever we're called upon to suffer for Jesus, whatever light that takes on, whatever it looks like, there's some things we need to remember. And first of all, and this is going to seem kind of odd to say, but the first thing we need to remember when called upon to suffer for our faith is this, remember that you're actually blessed. Remember that you're actually blessed. Now, you're there in verse 14 again. And I want you to notice what it says there in verse 14. But it says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Now, wait a minute. That makes very little sense on the surface. Who in their right mind would feel this way? Listen, I'm happy today. Well, why are you happy? Well, I'm suffering because of my faith in Jesus Christ. But that's what happens if we look with human eyes. We say, that makes no sense. That's silly. That's ridiculous. Nobody in the right mind would feel that way. But we need to see things through the eyes of the Lord. You're there in 1 Peter chapter 3. Put your finger there if you need to and look at the very next chapter. Chapter 4, find verse 12. 1 Peter 4, 12-14. 1 Peter 4, 12-14. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. In other words, why am I suffering so? Verse 13 of chapter 4. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, if you suffer for the name of Christ, watch it, here it is again, blessed are you, happy are you. Why? For the Spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. On their part, He has blasphemed, but on your part, He is glorified. So there He says it again. Listen, if you're stepping for Jesus, you're happy. And listen, earlier this week, the Lord brought this passage to my attention. I, I, I was blessed by it. And then I had a church member this morning who texted me a kind note and texted me. And when their text, this passage was in there again. If you want to follow, put your finger there. this wasn't in my notes, even, but put your finger there there, and turn back to Second Corinthians chapter four. Second Corinthians chapter four, and it, and it fits so well with what we're studying here in First Peter. It's talking about the fact that even though we're suffering, we're blessed, and, and I want you to see what it says in Second Corinthians chapter four, verses 16, 17 and 18. And, and this would be a whole other message. But let me just give it to you. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. We don't grow discouraged. We don't give up. We don't lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, the outside of us, ourselves, our bodies, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Now, I want you to notice verse 17 to 2 Corinthians 4. For our light affliction, our light affliction, Notice how he describes it. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment. And so no matter what afflictions we're facing, he calls them light and he calls them momentary. They're not permanent. They're transient. They're temporary. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us, look at it, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. In other words, beloved, though we cannot see it, we don't always understand it, God is working in the midst of these sufferings for our good in His glory. And they're momentary and they're light in comparison to what He's bringing about in our lives. There is a purpose in the pain. These sufferings are working in us to make us more like Jesus. And so when we suffer, especially because it's so hard, you're trying to do it right, you're trying to live right, you're trying to help others, and because you love Jesus, there's pushback. That's very difficult. But at that moment, we remember, listen, I am blessed. Because God is using this. Romans eight twenty eight: God is working all things together for my good. And His glory. Now, I told you we weren't going to get bogged down on on one, didn't I? I already messed that up. Remember you're blessed. Number two. Are you ready? Remember that you don't have to be afraid. We're back in 1 Peter chapter 3 again. Verse 14 again. And I want you to see what it says there. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you're blessed. And notice the next part. And do not be afraid of their threats. Nor be troubled. And listen, when you find yourself in hot water because of your faith in Jesus, there's a real tendency for fear to come bubbling up. And it's in these times we've got to remember that we're not alone in these sufferings. God is with us in the midst of our suffering. In fact, where it says there, and "Do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled," that's actually from Isaiah chapter eight. The end of verse twelve and verse thirteen. Isaiah eight twelve, the end of that verse and verse thirteen, where it says, Nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Why? Verse thirteen of Isaiah eight. The Lord of hosts, him you should hallow, let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. In other words, take your eyes off of what's going on and put your eyes to the Lord because you're not alone in this suffering. You're not alone in these troubles. We don't need to focus on our fears or focus on their threats or focus on our pain, but focus upon our great God. And so when suffering comes for Jesus, number one, realize that you're actually blessed. God's bringing about good in your life. And we don't understand that. I know, but He is. And secondly, remember, you don't have to be afraid. He's with you. He's caring for you. He loves you. And then the third thing, because we've got six of them, The third thing we find here is remember to give absolute allegiance to Jesus Christ. Give absolute allegiance to Jesus Christ. You're back in 1 Peter 3 still, right? Now this time we move to verse 15. Verse 15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. In the midst of suffering for righteousness' sake, We have to realize that in everything we say and everything we do, we have to give our complete and total allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. To sanctify us, to set apart, we're focusing upon Christ. And when you think about suffering for Christ, you think about um, the martyrs. By the way, there are still martyrs today. And martyr, you know, someone who dies for their faith. And I ran across in my study, Polycarp, It says when Polycarp was promised, release, if he would just blaspheme Christ, just blaspheme Jesus. Here's what Polycarp said. He said, 86 years I've served Christ and he's never done me wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and savior? Well, then the proconsul, they threatened to expose him to wild beasts, to to give the wild beasts the ability to tear him limb for limb and kill him. here's what Polycarp said. He said, It is well for me to be speedily released from this life of misery. And finally, the ruler threatened to burn him alive. And Polycarp said, I fear not the fire that burns for a moment. You do not know that which burns forever and ever. Absolute Allegiance to Jesus Christ. We may never be called upon to die, literally die for our faith. Now we might. We might. It's happened in our lifetime. Cassie Bernall and others. We may never be called to die literally, we might. but we are called to die to self, take up our cross, and follow Jesus Christ and give Him absolute and total allegiance no matter the cost. Because that's often when that suffering comes, when we say, I can't do that. Well, why can't you do it? Because I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Fourth thing, remember to share with those who ask you What you believe. Remember to share what you believe with those who ask you. Now we're back in verse 15 again. He says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And notice the next part. And always be ready. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. In other words, we're to be ready to tell others what we believe. And that's true whether we're in a legal setting A formal legal setting or whether we're talking to somebody one-on-one. If they ask us what we believe or what we're thinking about these things, we're to be ready to tell them, to give uh, uh, apologetics, if you will. Now, it does not mean we have to have a Ph.D., you know, it was old Vance Habner, I think, who said sometimes Ph.D. stands for phenomenal dud. And then, by the way, if you got a Ph.D., God bless you. But we sometimes think, well, if I had a Ph.D., then I could do that. Or if I had formal training, I could do that. If I went to seminary, I could do that. But that's not what it says. It doesn't say if you went to seminary, you went to Bible college, you got formal training, be ready to give a defense. He says, no, you'd be ready to give a defense. You'd be ready to tell others what you believe. And so you know how you got saved. You know what you understand from the Bible. And you just tell them what you believe and what the Bible teaches. And you, you study. And by the way, that should drive us to study more and learn more. But notice it says how we're to tell them. Not just tell them, but how we're to tell them. Please note, we're not to tell them in arrogance and pride. It says there in that passage, it says in that verse what? We're to do it with meekness or gentleness and we're to do it with fear and reverence. I love what one said he said, we've uh, we got to remember that we're witnesses for Jesus, not prosecuting attorneys. See, so you can argue somebody into it, somebody else come along and argue them out of it. We're not called to argue people into the faith or into the kingdom. We're called to share the message. We're called to share the gospel. The Holy Spirit has to work in their hearts and lives and bring them to conviction and conversion. We're told to share the gospel. We're told to share the message. We're told to give a ready defense for what we believe. And so, in other words, we're supposed to open our mouths. We do it reverently. We do it gently. We do it with fear. We probably do it even with trembling. But not to be afraid and say, well, I'm not going to say anything. No, if they ask you, it says in this passage we're supposed to tell them. Maybe you're on the job and they want you to do something that's crooked and wrong. You say, I can't do that. They say, you're going to do it or you're going to get fired. Why can't you do it? I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And he says that's wrong. We're to share what we believe with others, which will help us with this next part, and that's to remember to keep a clear conscience. Keep a clear conscience. In times of suffering, and for all times for that matter, Be sure and live in a way where you have a clear conscience. Look at verse 16. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. People can accuse us of all sorts of things. They can accuse you of all sorts of things. But it's vital that you keep a clear conscience. I've um, told my son. I remember I I talked to, uh, I think it was Gideon before and I, told him that um, I want to always be able to lay my head on my pillow at night with a clear conscience. People can say what they want to say. They can accuse me of whatever they want to accuse me. But I want to be able to lay my head on the pillow at night with a clear conscience before God. And by the way, that's biblical. Remember, this passage is talking about suffering. It's talking about trouble from other people. And with that, it's going to be probably false accusations that are going to come. But if you keep a clear conscience, it's so much easier to stand for truth and do what's right. And the next verse is quite interesting. Verse 17 says, for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. In other words, listen, if you're going to suffer, it's better for you to suffer for doing right than do wrong. But verse 17 is startling too. Because it says, for if it, it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil reminds us that it is indeed the will of God at times for us to suffer for doing good. You say, I don't understand that, preacher. I don't either. I don't either. But again, we've got to remember that we're finite and, and we don't see the whole picture. God sees the whole picture. I was praying this morning to the Lord. And I was saying to the Lord, I said, "Lord, you've already seen this whole day. You know, you've already seen it." I said, "I'm living in real time. I'm living step by step. You've already seen the whole day." And I encouraged it because it reminded me. That's why He can prepare us and give us grace because He knows what's around the corner. Because He's already seen it. He's outside of time. He's not bound by time. He's seen your whole life. He knows exactly everything. Everything's going to happen to you today. The good things that are said. The bad things. He knows the joys. The sorrows. He knows every single detail of your life this day. And so, knowing that, we can trust Him when it is His will for us to suffer, for doing good even, because He's working everything together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Now, this is a hard truth. And by the way, this is not my favorite message to preach. I would have much rather come today with something much lighter and and much more... Pleasant to talk about, but that's the thing. When you study through a book, you can't get around it. Why? Because God knows we need it. And so this is not light and fluffy. This is not. This is not like, ooh, I, can, oh, I love this. No, I don't like this. Don't like this at all. Be honest about it. We don't like this. We wouldn't choose this. This is a hard truth. It's hard to be punished for doing good, and so it's vital that we stay close to the Lord in these seasons. Why? Because as the old saying in the old song, sometimes we can't trace His hand. We're like, God, what are you doing? But even though we can't trace His hand, we can always, always trust His heart. I've got to give you number six. Remember that Jesus has already set the ultimate example and is absolutely victorious. Now I've got to be honest, what I'm about to read to you, and we've got about three minutes to do this, It's one of the hardest passages in all of the Bible to interpret. Isn't that encouraging? There's a lot of disagreement. Reams of paper and gallons of ink have been spilled on this next portion. And I've got two minutes to tell it to you. Let's read and you'll see what I mean. Verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. So far, so good. That summarizes the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for our sin um, to bring us to God. Now it gets hard. Verse 19. By whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison? Who formerly were disobedient when once the divine longsuffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, and which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven, is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. First part we understand, verse 18, Christ suffered for us. And then we get this stuff about the preaching to the spirits in prison and Noah's ark and all that stuff. And you say, Well, preacher, what does all that mean? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. Some you know, I can tell you all kinds of things today, people think. It could be that he's talking about Noah preaching in righteousness and Christ was helping him. It could be he actually went and he preached to some kind of spirit that were bound these angelic. Base. We don't know. We don't know. But here's what happens is we can lose the forest for all the trees. Let's back up and get the big picture. What he's saying here is Christ is victorious. And He's the greatest example of suffering mine because out of something horrible, because He suffered unjustly, the just for the unjust, the one who did no sin became sin for us. And out of that, what happened? The greatest good. And furthermore, when it comes to the spirits and all the authorities, it shows us that He is indeed absolutely victorious over all. Sin, hell, death, the grave, and all spirits. And by the way, the picture of Noah in the ark there is a picture of salvation as that boat was in the water. Then it mentions baptism, which is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so I can't give you all the details. I don't know, but overall we see this. Jesus has already set the ultimate example and He's absolutely victorious. In fact, had He not suffered the just for the unjust, we'd all be lost today. It was God's will for him to suffer. Now, I've got to be honest with you. We've got to quit. This is hard. This is difficult. Suffering is not easy. We still wrestle, why would God allow us to suffer in the first place if we're seeking to do good? But again, we've got to remember he sees the big picture. I clipped this recently from a devotional. And it really helped me. Listen to what it says. Trying to understand... This can help you in a lot of ways. Trying to understand why and how God does what He does is like trying to swim an endless ocean in all directions. We said that again. Trying to understand why and how God does what He does is like trying to swim an endless ocean in all directions. If we were as all-knowing as He is, there'd be no need to trust Him. But God designed us in such a way that we would actually need to trust Him. Why? Because our understanding is so limited. There is a purpose in the pain. There's a purpose in the suffering. He's working in your life in eternal weight of glory. And when you can't trace His hand, Lord, what do you do? You can trust Him. And really, I think that would be the summary for all six of these things. Trust His heart. He has your good and mine, believer. He's always working for your good. Trust His heart. Father, help us today to absorb these truths There is so much here. We feel like we're swimming in an endless ocean in all directions. But we're not. You place us on a solid rock and a firm foundation. The Lord Jesus. Help us to live with absolute, total allegiance to Jesus Christ. Help us to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning, I think, is an appropriate one. 453, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. Let's stand together. We'll just sing the first and the last, and then we'll pray, and then we'll transition to this business meeting and then send you on your way where you can go and say, I have no idea what he was talking about today. (laughs) But God is good. Even when we suffer, God is good. 4.53. Let's stand and sing the first and last. What
0: a fellowship. What a-